This is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Um, if those of you are looking it up, I can see some people grabbing Bibles, which is great. I'll give you a chance to look it up. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send a messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized, and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, camel's hair, and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Brooke. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> Gee, my voice is about to, to go. Maybe that's a good thing. Did I hear somebody say sure is? That's good. Hey, um, I apologise that I went too long last week. I didn't realise the time. I'll go longer this week just so it makes it look easier. Um, no, I won't. But this Sunday's a little bit different. It's, it's in the scripture that we're talking about today, but in some areas it's, it can be quite controversial. And I want to probably just kind of lay that down a little bit because often sometimes when we look at subjects like we're looking at today, which is a part of our scripture reading, verse 8, is that sometimes we make assumptions on what we've heard but not necessarily what we've seen. And sometimes we see, when we start talking about things like the Holy Spirit, we sometimes look at extremes either that extreme or that extreme, and they're both not good. Somewhere in the balance is where God wants us to be in terms of the understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So John said, I've come, I've come that I will baptise you in water for the remission of sin. But Jesus is coming and he will baptise you in the Holy Spirit. So last week we, we looked at uh, a little bit about John the Baptist, about him being the, the town crier, the big loud voice of yelling out, prepare ye the way, prepare ye the way, which is what he did. He prepared the way for the Lord. So he was found in the Jordan baptising people and Jesus comes to him and, and requests that he be baptised. We talked just very briefly about... You know, it's interesting that Jesus came as an adult to be baptised, not as a child. And yet I'm not discounting for people who have been baptised as a child. That's something that your parents did for you and that is wonderful. But isn't it interesting how Jesus came as an adult to be baptised 
by full immersion. So it's something that we need to, I believe, think about. So today I want to concentrate on that verse 8 that says, I indeed baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I think that it would be true to say then that for Christians in Australia today, we've vastly underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit, vastly estimated, underestimated. And I believe that simply on the basis of, of what we understand in Scripture. Because if we truly understood and believed what the Bible tells us about him, we would never, ever worry about anything ever again. If we really believed, you know, if I asked you if you believe the Bible, most likely a hundred percent of you would put your hand up and say, yeah, I believe the Bible. But how many of us believe all the Bible? We heard Tim talking a little bit about this morning about creation. I know some people who are lovely Christian people don't believe in the first uh, chapters of, of Genesis. I can tell you some people who I could take you to who don't believe in Revelation. They say it's just a dream, but nothing to do with Scripture. So we throw out stuff that we don't think or we, we, we don't want to believe, and it's the same with the, with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Many churches have thrown him out, and some say, I've thrown it out. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. And I think we've underestimated that because all hell could come against us if we understood the power of the Spirit and we wouldn't fear a thing. We would simply grin and say, keep it coming, Satan, because greater is he that is within me than he that's in the world. He's given me all strength. He's given me all wisdom, all power, all provision. And in Jesus' name, <laughs> I will crush you under my feet. That's if we, underest if we understood the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he puts all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. Who's the body? We are. So we are actually his feet. We are actually his hands. And Jesus said, I will crush him under my feet. That's ours. We are his body. We can actually say that when we understand God's power within us, we can actually say that, Satan, you are under my feet. So when you are tempted, when things go wrong, you say, Satan, come on, get back under my feet. We can talk to him. We can tell him. We don't share with him, we tell him. Now, for a number of us, you'll be sitting there saying, yeah, you know, uh, that's all right for you, Pastor. But that, I, I, I don't think I've got that type of faith. I don't think I've got that type of boldness in me. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. What would you do if Jesus appeared in the flesh and sat right beside you right now, January the 24th, 2021. Sat right beside you in the flesh. How'd you feel? How would you react if Jesus then linked his arm around you and told you that from now on, from now on, he would physically be present with you right throughout your lifetime? 
in every situation. In other words, if you became sick, all you would have to do is say, Jesus, would you just lay your hands on me and heal me? And you'd be healed. Or if you were short of money, like I am all the time, because my wife keeps pinching it out of my wallet. No, she doesn't. She actually puts it in there. And all I'd have to do is turn to Jesus and say, um, I've got to pay this bill. He said, no problems. Go and look at a fish and he'll have coins in there. You know, that's biblical. And pay your taxes or whatever it might be. He can do that. He can multiply your resources because he's right there with you physically. If you encountered a problem that you, you didn't know how to handle, you would simply just, he would tell you what to do. Simple as that. If you found yourself one Sunday morning totally stressed because you have to play a song like we had this morning or, or you weren't quite sure what uh, note to start on or whatever because, you know, all you do is say, Jesus, come on, come on, help me on this. And he'd give you the absolute go-ahead. All that. He would assist you. Now, I'm quite sure that under those type of circumstances, you'd be, you'd be very bold. <laughs> You'd have a lot of faith. You'd be incredibly bold, in fact. In other words, every time you ran into trouble, all you had to do was look over your shoulder and Jesus was standing there right beside you. (laughs) I think my courage would grow. And rightfully so. Let me just say that if that was the case then, maybe some of the places I go I'll have to reevaluate because Jesus is there with me, standing right beside me in the flesh. Or some of the things I do or say to somebody else, either directly to them or behind their back, I may have to change that because Jesus is listening there. He's standing there right beside me in the flesh. Maybe maybe some of the things I watch on television or on my computer I will need to reevaluate because Jesus is watching it as well with me. Of course there's one small problem and that is that we don't have Jesus standing right beside us next to us in that physical sense. We don't have that advantage. Or is it an advantage? Now, church, we have something even better. Now, stay with me. Don't, I'm not moving off into some heresy, all right? Stay with me on this, all right? We have something better. Now, I realize that it's difficult to believe that there would be anything better than having the physical presence of Jesus with us, with you, right now, beside you. One major problem is that if, if, if I take control of this and I say, Jesus, I want you to, am I allowed to go that far, Michael? Okay. Um, if I say, Jesus, I've got you right beside me, that means you miss out. You miss out. You miss out because he's beside me. And if he's beside me physically, he can't be with you. So there's a disadvantage of having Jesus physically in presence right beside. Ask the disciples that. 
So there is that disadvantage. You see, in those hours just before he was crucified, he said to his disciples that he would be leaving them and returning to his Father in heaven. But his disciples' immediate reaction was, but we don't want you to leave. I understand that. You know, it's like when a loved one leaves, either through holidays or going overseas or or in death. We don't want them to leave. And this was the same reaction of grief that the disciples had. Lord, we don't want you to leave. We're enjoying what we're doing here. Now, keep in mind that the Bible said that his work was finished. And he now see where's he seated? Tell me where he's seated. The right hand of the Father. Now seat to the right hand of his Father. It's probably up on the board, was it? Yeah, that's why you saw it. But I knew that you knew. That's all right. Interceding for you and for me. He's praying every single moment for you and for me. And these were, what was his last words on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. So in other words, what Jesus was confessing to the world, the work that the Father has sent me to do on this earth has finished. And I now am going to return to my Father and I'll be seated at the right hand of authority in heaven. So if you can picture what I'm saying here, Father God is seated here and on the right hand of Father God is God the Son. All right? So that's the picture that you need to look at. And so Jesus said to them, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Another comforter. So here Jesus saying, I have been your comfort for the last three and a half years. I've done that, but it's time now for another comforter to come. So let me read a little bit further. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, neither knows him. For he will dwell within you and he shall be in you. I tell you the truth, is it expedient for for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, to grasp this type of statement, you have to realize that Jesus was talking to a group of men who had shared life with him for the last three and a half years. They had seen his miracles. They had enjoyed his protection and they'd enjoyed his provision. What a great lifestyle that would be. I wonder how many people who have followed Jesus for years, even seen maybe miracles, but have never seen or experienced the comforter of the Holy Spirit because we've rejected him. Now, can you just imagine for a moment what was going through Peter's mind? So many of us are like Peter. I know I identify so much with Peter, kind of foot-in-mouth disease. 
You know, we kind of speak before we think it, and out it comes. Um, I'm a little bit like that. But no doubt he was thinking of the very first time that this beautiful Jesus had borrowed his fishing boat as a pulpit so that he could speak to the crowds. And then on this next occasion, Jesus says to him, grab your nets, we're going to catch some fish. (laughs) And Peter knew that you can't catch fish in the middle of the day. And this was in the middle of the day because the fish would see, see the nets and they'd just swim around it. It's too clear. But just to humour Jesus, he said, okay. He did as he said, and in doing so, he ended up with the greatest catch that Peter had ever experienced because nothing's impossible for God. You know, we let that just kind of roll off our tongue, don't we? Oh, yeah, nothing's impossible to God. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that nothing is impossible for God? Not even the situation that you're going through right now is impossible for God. Not even that temptation that you're experiencing at the moment, nothing's impossible for God to help you through that. And then, of course, there was Peter's mother-in-law who had wonderfully been healed. She had a deadly fever. And Jesus comes in, touches her life, and she gets up and makes a meal for them by simply laying his hands on her and praying. But that was nothing. Nothing yet was for Peter yet to see because Peter was taken up on, on the Mount of Transfiguration and he had seen Jesus transform before his very eyes. And not only that, he saw two people that he'd only heard about, Elijah and Moses, standing there. They were talking together. Wow. Peter had seen Jesus' body transfigured. He'd seen this shining cloud. I think the Bible in the interpretation says the Shekinah glory of God. And he heard the awesome voice of the Almighty God. Peter heard this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You know... That often strikes me when I read that. Paul, are you listening? Are you listening? Or are you too busy doing? You see, Jesus, God made us beings, not doings. But we concentrate on doing a whole lot of things. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to be. I was challenged looking at a a video, just a short clip just this week of a beautiful um, lady. Um, I'm not sure if she's in a, she was in a, out of a monastery or in a, went into a monastery in a poverty-stricken land. And she talked about the need to listen, the need to be quiet, the need to listen to our heart, the need to listen to our spirit. And then in terms, the need to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
But Jesus said, I'm going. I'm leaving you. I'm going back to my Father. And he's probably saying things like, I know this is hard for you to believe, but I'm not trying to deceive you. But it's better for you if I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to not only be with you, <clears throat> but to live within you, to live within you. You know, it's been two th- over 2,000 years now since Jesus said that. And most of us are still struggling to fully comprehend and believe it. Theologically, we know it's true. Theologically, we know it's true. Biblically, we can say, yes, yes, we know it's true. For some, we've even been baptised in water. And maybe there's some who can say, yes, I've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, we say things like, if only I could feel Jesus. If I could only feel his hand in mine. Or if I could just feel his hand on my shoulder saying, it's okay, buddy then it would be easier to receive my healing or, or to know that I've been set free. Why is that? Firstly, let me say, we don't, we don't live by feelings. We have them, but we don't live by them. We live by faith. We live by faith. And secondly, I believe it's because we don't truly and appreciate or understand the incredible power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We haven't yet just had a full revelation of who it is that lives within me. You see, many of us have have only seen the extremes as I talked about before. So we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater and said, ah, if that's what the the ministry of the Holy Spirit is about, I, I I don't want it. And we throw it all out. And so we've thrown a third of the Godhead that we so believe that we even sang this morning. We throw it out. And we've reacted, which is so often what we do as Christians. We react if there's something we don't know. I remember somebody saying to me many, many years ago, if we don't believe it, we think it's of the devil. I don't think that's right. I think that was a false statement. Because sometimes there are things that we don't believe, but if we start to understand and study it, it becomes believable. I guess for many Christians... Let me just read the, the verse before that, if I say that. Ephesians 3.20, because I think this is such an important one. I want you to grasp it, because he's, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. How many times have you asked for something you go, oh, I'd never get that? Or you think, oh, wow, What Paul is saying here is you can ask exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is works within us. Not what the world has to offer, 
Not what the world says, if you do this and you accomplish that, you can be a self-made person. No, no, no. It's by the power that lives within us. And for many Christians, they believe the only time the Holy Spirit did anything was in the day of Pentecost. Some churches actually believe that. That that everything finished at the day of Pentecost. All miracles, all healings, all prophetic, all whatever, finished on the day of Pentecost or when the disciples died. That's rubbish. It's not biblical. But they teach it. But that's not all, because the Holy Spirit has been at work on planet Earth ever since the beginning of time, ever since the beginning of time. If you look at the book of Genesis, you'll see that for yourself. That's if you believe the book of Genesis. Right there in the first few verses, you'll find, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, you need to think about that just for a moment. The Holy Spirit was hovering, waiting to create And in a moment, God spoke the word and the literal Hebrew language says, light be. And the Holy Spirit sprang into action and slung his entire universe into being. And that's how God first introduces us to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Right back there in creation. Nine times in Genesis, God says, let there be, and the Holy Spirit put it into action. When others are saying the Big Bang Theory, we're saying look at Genesis. When others are saying we come from apes, we say look at Genesis. Don't you think that the same spirit that helped create the universe with the command of Father God would also fill and direct our lives with the same Father in heaven saying be filled with the spirit? Surely. I believe that. It's a directive. Be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek says be continuously filled with the Spirit. Don't you think that the same Spirit that breathed life into Adam and Eve, the very breath of life, would also do the same for you and me? Surely. Surely he would. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came on a man by the name of Samson, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on people, not in people, came upon people. And he single-handedly killed a thousand Philistine soldiers. And as I said, I've got a vivid imagination, but I want you to imagine how embarrassing that must have been for the few soldiers that might have got away. And they're run, running back to the palace. And as they ran back to the palace headquarters, all beaten up, out of breath from running, trying to tell their side of the story about this terrible massacre that had just taken place. And with my imagination, I can just hear the commander-in-chief yelling, a thousand men killed? Are you sure? A thousand? That's terrible. How many of them were there? 10,000? 5,000? How many? How many? 
um, one, sir. What do you mean? You mean 1,100? Um, no, sir, just one. His name was Samson. You know, some people believe that Samson was able to do these great things because he was a giant of a person. <laughs> but in actual fact, he was just an ordinary person, just like you and me. Just like you and me. In fact, he only became extraordinary when the Spirit of God came upon him. And my friends, it can be the same for us. I'm sure that I I echo the words of many of you here today who have convinced yourselves that you will never accomplish anything for God because you're just an ordinary person. Nothing special about me. I believed that for years. God loves to use ordinary people just like you and me. That's why he made so many of us. (laughs) Many people want to move in the supernatural, but so long as it's natural. It's easy to move in the natural, but nothing changes. It's only when the power of God through the Holy Spirit comes upon and in and through us that it becomes supernatural. Well, just keep in mind that he also loves smelly, loudmouth, smelly people like fishermen like Peter. And he used him. So I think that if he can use Peter, he can use you and me quite easily. That same Peter said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but what's in it for me? (laughs) I've come across people who've come into church and say, yeah, I want to be a part of the church, but what's in it for me? See, I think sometimes we've got to change our thinking on, I come to church not what I can get, but what I can give. And in giving, you get. It's an interesting concept that God has got for us. That same Peter, after Jesus was crucified and buried, was heard to say, eh, I'm going back fishing. What are you saying? I'm going back to what I knew best. I used to do that. I used to do that. Go back to what I used to know better than being a part of church life. Stayed in the church, but didn't get involved. I just concentrated on my work (laughs) situation in those early days. Peter simply got discouraged, just like we do. Well, maybe I do and you don't, but I'm sure that you do at times get discouraged. So you're not alone. You're not alone. Many of the great prophets got discouraged. Many of the great saints of old got discouraged. But that's when we need to fall into the arms of Jesus or get beside a trusted friend to help us along that path. Sometimes when the worship doesn't go the way you want it to go, we get discouraged. Or when I, as the pastor, might interrupt the song or something like that, and I haven't done that here yet, and you get your nose out of joint. 
you get discouraged. Or when I want to say, look, I'd rather this song rather than that one, and the worship leader goes, who are you? You know? Or for men, who are you? And we get discouraged and say, oh, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. But it was a time like this of discouragement that Jesus met Peter on the beach and said, come on, Pete, I want to have a barbecue with you. And he had the fish already there waiting. And he said, come on, let's have some fellowship together. Let's have fellowship together. And while we're at it, Peter, let's talk to you about what it means to be a giver and not a taker. Jesus was actually asking and talking to him side by side. Peter, I want to show you what I meant when I said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I want to show you what that means. Peter, I want to show you what I meant when I said, you will never thirst again. Peter, I want to show you what I meant when I said, I need to go to my father and I will send you a comforter who will baptize you with fire. He is the one who will supply the water. He is the one who will ignite you with fire, Peter. But it wasn't until the great day of Pentecost when it all came flooding back to Peter's heart and mind what Jesus had actually said to him. As the Spirit of God came upon him and came to dwell in him forever. It's interesting, as you know, I've nearly finished. And as you move into Acts chapter 3, you will find a totally different Peter. Often we want to stay in Acts chapter 2, but you've got to move. You've got to move on. You can't just go around the mulberry bush. You've got to move on into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, you find Peter and John coming to the temple like they always do, and at the gate sat this disabled man who, what we understand, had never walked in his life. And the taker of Peter walks straight by him every time, up until now. Up until now. Because he had moved from being a taker, just taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in, then walking out of the synagogue, out of church, going and doing his normal thing in work, whatever that means. The Spirit of God had come upon him, changed his whole attitude, his whole life, and he now becomes a giver. And he says to this man, he said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I want to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man did, leaping, jumping, praising God. Folks, I am more and more convinced than ever that one of the experiences of being baptised in fire in the Holy Spirit is not simply just to speak in tongues. That may be okay and that may be good. It's not so much about seeing people healed, although that's good too. I enjoy that. Love it. But it's becoming a giver of that which God has placed within your life. Please hear me when I say this. Every single follower of Jesus Christ, when you were born again and the Spirit of God came into your life, he gave you access to every spiritual 
gift. You may be able to concentrate. God may be saying, I want you to concentrate on this gift. And that's good. But you have access to every spiritual gift that is listed in the Scriptures. As Paul said to Timothy, and I believe it's relevant for you today, and I want to leave this with you, stir up the gift that is within you. Stir up the gift that is within you. And if that hasn't happened, then maybe today is the time for it to happen. Is that why Jesus said to his disciples, and that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you will be my witnesses, my witnesses. And that's what Jesus is wanting for each of us, each person here today, to baptise you or fill you with fire, to anoint you with fresh oil and to make you witnesses of his power, his life and his grace. Church, I want to see Jesus so ignite you today so that you in return, as you give of that gift that Jesus has already placed within you, can ignite someone else, the rest of the church, if you like. I saw a sign this, this week and I went down and I took a photograph of it that simply says, one small ember can travel 30 kilometres and start a fire. It's down near the Shell service station. Well, church, if it only takes one spark to start a fire like that, 30 kilometres away, then it can do the same in the spiritual. One spark in your life to ignite a congregation like we have. So why don't you this morning let God stir up the gift that is within you? and be filled with the Holy Spirit and ignite someone here who will ignite someone over there or over there or over there or over there until we have a spiritual bushfire that will say something incredible to our community. I'd love to be known as the church on fire. Let's pray. I believe we're at a significant moment in our service today. As our heads are bowed and hopefully maybe our eyes are closed if you are able to do that, what is God saying to you? Let's put aside our religiosity. Maybe we even have to put aside something that we've been brought up with so that God can ignite a fire within your life. Maybe you're someone here today that you don't know what spiritual gifts are all about or you certainly don't know what your own spiritual gift is and you want to know. In a moment time we're going to be singing a song and maybe the worship team can make their way up now. But as we sing this last song, maybe it's time for you to step out and say, I need that. I need that igniting in my life. 
putting aside all terminology, I just want to know that the Spirit of God fills me to overflowing. Because sometimes terminology puts us off. But this is something that the Bible is talking about. And we say we believe the Bible. We're a Bible-believing church. Well, are we? Are you moving in your spiritual gift? If not, then Paul is saying to you, not this Paul here at the pulpit, but the Paul from the, Old Te- the New Testament is saying, stir up the gift. That's what God is saying, stir up the gift that is within you because we need it. Otherwise, as a church, we don't grow. We don't grow spiritually. Forget physically. We can grow a church physically. That's easy. But I want to see a church that grows spiritually. We become spiritual giants for the kingdom of God. And when we see something in the community, they stand up and listen, not shove us aside and say, what would you No, You're only this little group. You mean nothing. No, when the gifts of God start to operate, the Holy Spirit moves upon us, we'll see great things. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fall afresh upon us today? Lord, I believe that your spirit has hovered over this congregation many, many, many times. But Lord, it's time for your Holy Spirit to fall upon us afresh. Lord, touch our individual lives. Stir up the gifts that have been placed within each of us to be witnesses for your kingdom. Lord, ignite a fire within us within this person, that person who is listening to your voice right now. Lord, for that person who thinks that you could never use them, ignite that spark, Lord, and then turn it into a fire that will ignite a spiritual bushfire. And may Kerrang Baptist be seen in our community, even across this nation, as the church on fire. So help us, Lord, to step out of our comfort zone in preparation for all that you're going to do for us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing this song, and I wonder whether you'd stand right now. Would you stand with me? But as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to come. And for those who do come, we're, we're going to anoint you with oil. Oil is just symbolic of the the Holy Spirit. But I want to anoint you with oil and allow the Spirit of God to come to touch you. You may not feel anything. You may feel something. But by faith, you receive that which God has for you. So let's put aside our embarrassments. Let's put aside our pride. Say, Lord, this is what I want. I need this. And it's a daily saying, Lord, I want you to fill me right now. So let's sing together. If you need to come, I'm going to be standing down the front here. Look, if one person comes or no person comes, that's okay. If you're all come, that's fine. I'll wait here until the end of the day, until we start in at the Berry's house at 5.30 if we have to. But my heart is for revival, to see God do something in our church, in our nation. So let's sing together, shall we?